Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. Good morning, everybody. My name is Laura. married to Mike, and thankful to be here. Um, We've been doing this Genesis series and learning about the story that makes sense of all our stories. Um, And, you know, we like to research and do our work uh, before we come and and share the word with you. Um, And one of those resources that we've been using, which we've referenced a lot, is the story that makes sense of all our stories by Daryl Johnson. Um, so we talk about that a lot. We, we often will quote him in this. But I just thought since we keep you know, sharing this resource with you that maybe I would just show you some of my other favorite things. Um, because why not? They have nothing to do with this message. <laughs> this iPad stand that I am going to use for my iPad so that I can preach and see my notes. It's on Amazon, I don't have a link, but it's one of my favorite things. I don't know if you're like me and like buy new journals all the time in hopes that that will help you journal more, Um, but I buy stationery and like highlighters and stuff in hopes that I'll do a better job with reading my Bible. Um, Just like the journals, it doesn't always work, but Uh, Another one of my favorite things is these super cute aesthetic page tabs. Um, They come in really nice colors. And the one box comes with like 800 of them. (laughs) So you can make a lot of notes in your Bible, which is really cool. And then to go with that, you can't have beautiful aesthetic page tabs without beautiful aesthetic highlighters. Um, And so these are so pretty and they don't bleed through your Bible pages. That's the main thing. Um, And so those are just a few of my favorite things, and you can just be blessed by that. So (laughs) there you go. I also like multi-tools. I like uh, lots of Vaseline containers all in so many different places so that I always have one when I need it. What else? That's all. I'll stop with that. Last week, Pastor Trevor brought a message um, and was preaching from the, uh, or from the chapter three in Genesis, where we learned about God's grace in the garden um, and the consequences of our independence when Adam and Eve chose independence. And today we're gonna to be talking in chapter four about God's grace outside the garden. Names, um, names are significant. You know, we've talked about Adam meaning mankind, um, Eve meaning living, and today we're gonna to talk about a few more meanings of some of the names in these stories. But I'm curious, you know, what your name means. Um, Mine means crowned uh, with laurel, so that's cool. Uh, I went on a, like I was just looking up names because that's fun to do and name meanings as we've, I've been learning about all these 
names in the Bible and what they mean. And, and so often uh, in the Bible, names are, they're significant because they have purpose. And sometimes it's a very like literal thing, um, like Esau, who was hairy. Um, Esau literally means hairy. So that makes sense. So it's very practical, very tangible. And then there's times where it was prophetic, you know, um, so that's great. So I looked up some, and I, I was going through the list of, like, bad name meanings for common names. And there's a lot. And I actually, I was going to share some, and then I realized, oh, if one of your names gets mentioned, that might be the only thing you remember about this message, <laughs> uh, that your name means something dismal, like person of sorrows or um, tired. <laughs> Uh, but some of the other meanings that I found of very common names um, were deformed head, um, crooked nose, short nose, crooked mouth, bitter, Cecilia, which um, the reason I say that one uh, was the name that my parents were actually going to name me. And I, I looked it up and it means blind. So... Um, I'm not blind, and I'm glad about that, and my name's not Cecilia. Um, bald was another one. And, okay, I actually feel like I can share that one. That's Calvin. Um, <laughs> and Calvin is not bald, so it wasn't prophetic. And uh, I know, you know, we can write our own names and meanings. And so often in the Bible, Jesus does that. God assigns a new name um, to, to Jacob, and he calls him Israel. And, you know, it happens so many times, and it means um, a new beginning that God brings and a new assignment often. So I just think that's funny. And today we're going to learn about some new names, well, very old names, but what they mean and why they're significant. Chapter four of, of Genesis is the very famous story of Cain and Abel. And the tag, the hook that I was telling people when I was telling them that I'm going to be preaching about Cain and Abel was that I'm preaching on murder. And I didn't say anything else because I thought they might think, wow, why would you dedicate an entire message to murder if there's no murderers in your congregation? But um, it's much more than that. Uh, it's a fascinating story. So I'll just recap it, and then we're going to read a little bit more as we go. But essentially, um, Cain and Abel, you know, Cain was the, the firstborn son to Adam and Eve. And then came Abel. Um, Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. So that's interesting. Uh, just a little factoid about the domestication of animals and agriculture, uh, starts pretty early. And Cain and Abel both brought offerings to the Lord. And the interesting thing here is that God accepted one and rejected the other. And that's the verse that I'm going to read right now. Abel also brought fat. Okay, no, I am going to read it. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil and as, as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. A little bit later, Cain 
takes his brother into the field and murders him. Um, he kills him. He kills his brother. From what we know of scripture, this is also the first human dying um, recorded in, in our scripture, which is really interesting. It's the first time that a person has their life taken from them. Cain would have likely only seen how animals had been killed up to that point for sustenance and for sacrifice. And he took that knowledge and applied it to a human life. But why, why was Abel's offering accepted and why was Cain's rejected? We actually don't know like how they knew that. It just says that um, God accepted it and rejected it. We don't know if like he sent fire from heaven and it ate up Abel's and didn't touch Cain's. Um, it doesn't, doesn't exactly say why, but somehow they knew that Abel's was accepted, Cain's was rejected, and it must have been public because Cain was humiliated. It wasn't a private matter. They would have brought their offerings before the Lord and it, probably with others around. So why did he accept Cain's? There's been several different viewpoints throughout history. Um, there's an Egyptian philosopher, and I think we would pronounce his name Philo, but maybe it's also Philo. I don't know. Um, he suggested that Abel's offering was accepted because it was living and Cain's was lifeless. Uh, Jewish historian Josephus suggested that Abel's offering was accepted because it was natural. It was created of God. An, an animal was um, a living creature that had been created by the Lord, whereas Cain's was cultivated by man. So perhaps that was the way. But both brothers, it doesn't actually say that it was a sin offering, um, it actually is presented as more of a sacrifice of worship. And both brothers, because of their vocation, actually did present appropriate sacrifices. Cain was a farmer, and so he brought the, the, the fruit of the land. Abel was a shepherd, and so he brought the fruit from his. He brought um, a, a sacrifice of a lamb, or whatever bloody meat he brought, I don't know. So it wasn't actually to do with their sacrifice. It doesn't specify exactly why, but something that's interesting to point out is what it says about the brothers and their offerings. It says here, and first it mentions, um, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. It actually talks, speaks first about the person that was being accepted or rejected. In Hebrews um, 11, verse 4, my tabs are working so good for me right now. We learn a little bit more about Abel, and it says this, chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. So we don't get a lot of the reason in the, in the actual 
original text, but if we look into the New Testament in Hebrews, we see why Abel's offering was accepted. It's because Abel brought it by faith, and by bringing the first and the best of his offering, he was in faith acknowledging God and his, uh, as creator, God as the best. Whereas Cain brought a much more generic offering. He brought some of the fruits. Um, Cain's offering would have likely been beautiful and aesthetically, aesthetically pleasing, and Abel's would have been a disaster, but What's more important here is that God was looking at the condition of the heart. Cain brought some of the fruit. Abel brought the first and the best. And so it was by faith. God looks at the condition of our heart. He's not interested in the sacrifice that we bring. I have always heard it said in like offerings, um, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take his money, take your money from a grouch too. Um, sure, he will. Um, but he cares, he cares about our heart. He looks at our heart. And when he's looking at it, he's taking care of the condition. So what was up with Cain? What's the problem with Cain? Uh, if I was a stand-up comedian, I'd start a bit right there. Cain was the firstborn human of humans. So Adam and Eve were created by God miraculously. And Cain was the firstborn human from humans. Eve's language is really interesting in Genesis um, when it speaks about the birth of Cain. It says, um, behold, I have brought forth a son. Cain's name means acquired or I have acquired. So it's really interesting, you know, we, we learned last week that Adam and Eve chose the autonomous self. They chose independence from God when they ate um, from the tree that they were not supposed to eat from. And the language that Eve uses here gives us a little bit of insight to the fact that they were likely still operating in this independent self, when she says, I have required a son, her, um, you, you can almost translate it to, or paraphrase it to say, um, as God created, so have I created. Eve was still living in independence. And as a result, um, when she says, I have acquired a son, do you remember in the curse or the consequences that God lays out for Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, he says that um, man will crush the, the head of the serpent and the serpent will strike his heel. They were waiting. They, they, they were given a promise that there would come a day when born of humans would be the one that crushes the serpent's head. <clears throat> So Eve saying, I have acquired a son, she was declaring, they were thinking, this guy, he's born of humans, he's the Messiah, he's the one who's gonna crush the serpent's head. Cain was puffed up from the beginning. Martin Luther King says that Cain could properly and truthfully take pride in his very high nobility, for he was the first, born, or the first to be born of men. I can just imagine Adam and Eve, you know, uh, 
enabling this puffed up view of Cain. I can picture them talking to him about how amazing he is and, and how he's number one. And it made me remember a video clip from one of my favorite movies of all time, Nacho Libre. And this is, um, I'm gonna show you a clip of Ramses, the, the luchador. And I, I envision this being Cain and the people around him. Ramses is the number one. His legs are number one. His eyes are number one. His muscles are number one. Ramses is number one. Very quickly, Cain developed a faulty view of himself. Have you ever been guilty of that? I remember when I was a teenager, I, um, I was involved in some worship in the Lower Mainland, and we had this youth conference with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada for our district called History Maker. And there were a few times where I was very privileged to be able to be on the worship team for that and sing with some amazing um, worship teams from around the world who are well-known and, and whatnot. And one of the things that I would get when I was on that worship team was an all-access pass. And not only did that pass contain power and access into the green room where I got to talk amongst, you know, the, the, the world-famous worship leaders and, and be amongst them and feel pretty awesome, the best part about it was wearing the lanyard around my friends who didn't have the all-access pass. And I remember just like, you know, kind of walking and sort of floating this lanyard that said all access. It wasn't even so much the actual power that it came with because once I got in that green room, I was terrified and I wouldn't actually talk to any of those people. But I got to float it around my friends. I had this faulty view of myself that was high and on a pedestal, much like Cain did. After my kids, I also struggled with a faulty view, but in a very opposite way. I struggled with feeling unattractive and, and um, so aware of all of my flaws and physical imperfections and how my body changed and I had such trouble accepting that. And Mike wanted me to mention, and I can confirm, it had nothing to do with um, anything that he would have ever said to make me feel that way. He was very affirming, very encouraging, very loving. Um, and I told him, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me and my perception of myself. I had such insecurities. And I, I, uh, I wrote a note in my phone a few years ago and just expressing some of my insecurities to the Lord and um, I, in there, I, I, I said, I, I closed my eyes and I prayed and I was listing off all these things. I, I have this problem and I have that problem and this looks funny and this doesn't sit right anymore and this, my clothes don't fit and my scale is breaking and blah, blah, blah. I have all these imperfections. And what I heard the Lord say to me is, Laura, what if you and I have different definitions of imperfections? The Lord looks at our heart. And so I prayed, God, help me see myself how you see me. Help me to stop asking the artist to change his art. That's a really good note 
it doesn't have much to do with the rest of the message, but you can write that down. If you want to tweet it, I don't know. Cain um, had a puffed up view of himself. Cain had developed a worldview in which he was at the center of it. And when God didn't see it that way, he was offended. It's kind of like Cain was saying, do you know who I am? I'm the firstborn son. Spurgeon says this, the cool impudence of Cain is an indication of the state of his heart which led up to his murdering his brother. And it was also a part of the result of his having committed that terrible crime. He would not have proceeded with the cruel deed of bloodshed if he had not first cast off the fear of God and had been ready to defy his maker. Chapter 11, uh, sorry, Jude, verse 11, there's only one book in Jude, um, warns us of the way of Cain creeping in amongst us. Cain's heart had already been deteriorating. The condition of his heart was in a terrible place by the time he brought that offering to the Lord. He was already puffed up. He was already thinking of himself as the center. And because of that, um, the, the, the New Testament talks about this way of Cain. And what does that mean? It means Cain was, uh, had a, a rebellious heart clothed in rituals that were religious. So he brought an offering, but it meant nothing to him because the one whom he was offering to was lesser than in his eyes. The way of Cain worships on our own terms. He brought some of the fruit, not the first and the best. The way of Cain has disdain for those who worshiped rightly. He, it, he couldn't get over the fact that his brother and his offering was accepted. And so instead of humbly working on himself, he just kills the one that did better, that had a better heart. The way of Cain is unrepentant to God's correction. The way of Cain resents the consequences of our sins. We're gonna look at that in just a minute. The way of Cain has a total lack of appreciation for God's ongoing mercy even when we've made mistakes. And the way of Cain leaves a legacy of corruption. Um, chapter four is a devastating chapter in the Bible. I would say it's even sadder um, than the fall in chapter three because um, sin, the word sin is introduced in this chapter and because of the choices of Cain and the ongoing choice to continue to keep himself at the center, generation after generation um, gets worse and worse and worse to the point at the end of chapter four, uh, we hear about Lamech, who I believe was seven generations after Cain and he boasts and glorifies violence. It says in verse 23 of chapter four, Lamech said to his wives, listen to me, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. He's 
boasting, and, and boasting about like he killed a man for, for wounding me and a young man for injuring me. Who knows what happened in that situation? He might have just accidentally tripped him and he hit his shin on something. And Cain takes absolute delight and boasts in murdering this boy. The way of Cain leads to a legacy of corruption. But we can continue. I mean, we can continue to look at this scripture. And I think often as Christians, we do. We look at the scripture about the, from a human perspective with humans at the center and all the lessons we can learn from Cain. And, and it paints a very grim picture of what happens to our own hearts when um, we are at the center of our lives, when we make the choices of independence. And even in such vivid and outright stories about humans, we can look beyond the humans to see how God was working. So looking at this story, we can take a human-centered approach and look at Cain and Abel and talk about that. But even better, we can take a God-centered approach. We can look at God's stories with humans involved. We can come up to 40,000 feet and see the big picture. We can ask ourselves, why did God include this in the scripture? What is he trying to reveal about himself? Right from the beginning, God is contending for Cain's soul. Genesis 4 reveals to us, and we can use the, the very famous scripture in Romans, that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Genesis 1 reveals to us, uh, Genesis 4, forgive me, that God cares about your heart. In verse 6, after it says uh, Cain was very angry and his face was downcast, that actually means he turned his face away from the Lord. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God comes to Cain and asks him why he's angry. He knows the answer, but in his grace, he gives Cain, he reaches out to him and says, tell me about your heart. Why are you angry? He asks the question and he gives space. He offers a warning and an opportunity to stop heading in the direction of destruction. When he says, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But be careful, for sin crouches at your door. God cares about your heart, and he gives an opportunity for confession. He asks Cain, where's your brother? To which Cain so arrogantly responds, am I my brother's keeper? Which is like really, you know, the Jewish community who would have been reading this would have been thinking about uh, parables that were told in their time um, about similar stories where essentially he's saying to God, I have my position as a farmer. You're the one that is the creator of all things. Aren't you the one to be caring for my brother? In saying, where is your brother? In saying, am I my brother's keeper? Cain is saying, no, I'm not. And that's your job. But God cares about his heart. He gives an opportunity for Cain to explain himself, to come clean when he's messed up. And number two, we learn from Genesis 4 that 
God is faithful and good even when we reject him. When Cain, um, after you know, God says, I know where your brother is, what have you done? His blood cries out. Um, the consequences of Cain's actions were that he's under a curse of the ground. Um, so when you work it, the, the ground, it will no longer yield its crops and you will be restless and wander around upon the earth. <laughs> God's faithful and good even when we reject him. Cain responds to that by saying, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer and whoever finds me will kill me. I don't know if you're sitting there like, really, Cain? But the way of Cain can't handle the consequences of our own actions. And we see it so clearly here. And not only does God have grace and is faithful and good in, to Cain by marking him somehow, we don't know how, but, and, and promising him that he, he will not be killed in the way that he's afraid of, um, Outside of the garden, God is faithful and good because he allows Cain to develop a family. Like the, the, the scripture goes on to say that Cain um, was fruitful, that he multiplied. We hear of the first city ever developed. Um, why would God do that? It's because he's gracious and he's faithful and good even when we turn our backs on him. The next thing that we learn about Genesis is that God will do what he said. In chapter three, we, we read the scripture about um, the consequences of Adam and Eve's choices and, and independence, and in that we read that the serpent will be crushed. This is what they like to call the proto-gospel. God set out a plan right from the beginning. From that moment, he set out a plan of redemption and he is faithful to see it happen. But what now? Cain, the firstborn, is a murderer. Abel, the secondborn, is dead. Adam and Eve are having their own problems over there, living in independence, but something changes. God, in all of his goodness and grace, gives Eve another son. Um, after Lamech and his boasting, it says in verse 25, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel. Isn't that interesting, the difference of language between when she had Cain, I have acquired a son, and when she gave birth to Seth at the end of this chapter, it says, God has granted me a son. Seth means substitute. It's so interesting because she says, in the place of Abel, since Cain killed him. So she names him Seth, substitute. But I don't think in all of her humanness, she really grasped what that fully meant. That from Seth's line would come the real substitute, the Messiah. Seth was a substitute for Abel. He was also a substitute for Cain because essentially Eve and Adam lost both their sons in this whole story. But he will do what he said and he provided a substitute for the plan that he had in place. Friends, God's plan is the best and the most complete. Cain is not the seed 
from the woman that would crush the serpent's head. But God did not give up there. The promise keeps on going. Christ is in the lineage of Seth, and there is hope. There's so much to draw from um, about Jesus and, and contrasting kind of these brothers here. And I want to just paint a little bit of a picture. Cain was the firstborn. They thought he was the Messiah. Jesus is the real substitute for our sin. Cain did not master evil. It was lurking at his door. But Jesus mastered the devil in the desert. Cain did not accept his brother. He had a faulty view of himself. And in Matthew 25, verse 40, we hear Jesus saying, when you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. Cain cast blame on God, saying, am I my brother's keeper? Whereas Jesus took all the blame upon himself. Cain placed himself upon a pedestal, and Jesus stepped off his throne and made himself the lowest. Cain took the life of his brother. Jesus gave his life for his brothers and his sisters. Cain created a lineage that boasted in violence and sin. Where Lamech said, I will be avenged 77-fold, Jesus said, no, forgive 77 times. Cain says, the consequences of my actions are too great for me to bear. Friends, Jesus bears the entirety of the weight of our sin. Cain ultimately comes to ruin, but Christ stands victorious. Friends, Jesus Christ is the better brother. We have a choice. We can follow the way of Cain, or we can follow the better brother. God in his infinite grace offers us a way out of our sin. He gives us Jesus, the better brother. And he was not some afterthought because all the other ways in the Old Testament had failed. Right from the beginning when he lays out the consequences of Adam and Eve's sins, he says, but there will come one who will crush the serpent's head. Jesus is the better brother. The work of Jesus is total and it's complete. Last year we did a series on um, Hebrews and, and painting the picture about how Jesus, uh, compare Jesus, he's the better. He's the better. In Hebrews, there's so many different words used to create such a complete picture of who Jesus is. Some of them are pioneer, he's the trailblazer. He blazed the path to the presence of God. He was the forerunner. He went before us to make sure that it was all right, he, to, to bring us into the presence of God. He's the guarantor and he's the mediator between us and God with the new covenant. He's the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And he's the permanent high priest. So not only does he go back in time to forgive the sins of the Old Testament, and not only does he have the power to save now, but he is constantly seeking to forgive and to set us free. It is possible, my friends, to live surrendered to the better brother. It is possible to have patience and grace. It's possible to not crumble when someone reveals a blind spot. 
We can joyfully and humbly receive correction when we follow the better brother. When we follow the better brother, we have the ability to forgive those who hurt us. We have the ability to break the cycle or the legacy of destruction. When we follow the better brother, we can live free from jealousy, self-hatred, and right, uh, self-righteousness. When we follow the better brother, we can disagree with our brothers and sisters and it not begin World War III. We can only truly do this through Jesus. And through Jesus, we find our place. We understand that he is our high priest, that he is the better brother, making the way to the Father for us. And when we know where we sit in that order of things, when we take ourselves off the pedestal as Cain failed to do, we can know who we are. And when we know who we are, we can better love others. I want us to all ask ourselves today, how have I allowed the way of Cain? What are the areas of my life where I've allowed the way of Cain to seep in? Perhaps it's been living in a lie. Perhaps you've been caught up in being more right than caring about the relationships. Maybe your self-worth is so damaged that you get easily offended and misjudge people's motives. Maybe you've been caught up in being jealous of somebody or comparing yourself against others. Perhaps you've given in to lust or temptation. Or maybe we've been blaming God for something in our lives. We may have allowed bitterness and resentment to grow in our hearts towards someone or towards the Lord. But what God is revealing to us in this story, he cares about your heart and he is constantly providing a way out. He's constantly revealing his grace to you and I. And by the way of Jesus, it says in 1 John that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and he will purify us from all righteousness. So I wanna encourage you today as a response to consider the better brother. You know, sometimes um, when I'm preaching or just in my own life, I, I think about Jesus and it, you know, what he did and I have trouble kind of like putting into words exactly what it is for my life. But the more that I studied um, and the more that time that I give to thinking and considering meditating about this better brother, the more I realize just how much he set me free from. And the more you and I get to know him, the closer that we get to him, the more glaringly obvious the ways of Cain in our lives become. So I encourage you this week to weed out the ways of Cain, and to surrender to the power and the glory and the victory and the authority of Jesus because he is the better brother. On the screen behind me or in front of you if you're watching from home right now, there are some discussion questions that if you're tracking along personally or with some friends in a coffee club or you're 
life group or whatever it may be you can track along with. These will be made available online as well. And we want you to take time to reflect on what we've been thinking about through this series on the first half of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 11. And the gift of Genesis 4, like Laura said, it's full of sadness and difficulty. The first murder, a family being torn apart. Um, It's offered to us as a gift. You've maybe heard it said before that as we read the story of Adam and Eve, we start to realize, wait, I'm Adam and Eve. I'm the one who chooses independence. Maybe you've thought of the story of Cain and Abel before, and you've thought, you know, it's as if I'm Abel. Like somebody, somebody else did something against me, and man, it, it wasn't right, and it hurt. And sure, that needs to be acknowledged, but this is a moment for us to also look at the story and realize, whoa, I'm Cain. I'm the one who's decided to worship God on my own terms at times. I'm the one who's caused hurt in the lives of others at times. I'm the one who needs a better brother. I just love how this passage joins in all of the work of early Genesis in pointing us to Jesus. Don't you love that? He is the better brother we all need. I'm going to call our prayer ministry team forward today. Today, some of you who have gathered with with us today. You're just so aware of a need in your life. You need somebody to be praying with you, and these people would love to pray with you. Others, through the message or a moment in worship, the Spirit has spoken to your heart about something, and you need someone to join you in prayer. Maybe maybe the thought of Cain speaks to your heart. Maybe the need for a better brother, Jesus Christ, speaks to your heart. Please don't leave today without having somebody pray with you or pray for you. Maybe you came with somebody, you can pray with them, or we invite you to come forward as we conclude today to receive prayer. Let me lead us in a corporate prayer for our whole group in the room and online as we move into our week together. Father, we thank you. You are the creator of all things. You've designed good for our world. We confess again that it's our own independence that has brought such destruction and pain to the world around us, to our own lives and the lives of others. We thank you that you've come to reverse that, to forgive that, to renew us and renew our world. We're going into your world again right now, Father, on your mission. You want your love, your truth, your hope, your peace, your word, your ways to touch down onto the everyday stuff of real life in the Comox Valley. We need your spirit. We need each other. Would you anoint us now as we head into this week in your power and your presence and with your joy? And I pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. amen. Happy spring break to those who are traveling. Be safe. Stay safe. Um, enjoy one another. Enjoy your family. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.